Welcome once again to the Wine is Shuffle Lockdown Special, the podcast that is always looking for a wealthy philanthropist. Harry <coughs> goes. Since we last recorded the pod, the club have updated us on the retained list of players for the season. With the grand unveiling of the new Puma kits, players are itching to get back training and we're getting closer to virtual matches and to a date where we can once again think about the clickety-click of a turnstile, drinking beefy drinks as hot as the sun from a styrofoam cup and an old man in a flat cap telling you to sit down. And who's going to make this all happen for us? It's Scott Gardner. Well, the fairy Drakey's Hilton Milton Kinmiley's Up the Bucht, Belfield Park In the islands after dark Doors in, Charleston Swift and Pollock, Culloden Down the Longman, in the rain Feeling metal, Greg Denny Inverness, what the hell? How you doing? No barter sell for shitty weather, drugs and pissness. Inverness is a fucking business. What did Tarzan see when he found a screwdriver? There's it. Welcome everyone, welcome to the pod that, like most folk, is getting up every morning at half past eight, watching breakfast TV and pretending to work in our pants. I'm Andrew Moffat, and if this were breakfast TV, then I'm like the slightly amateurish Ben Shepherd of the pod, and joining me today are my colleagues, Chirpy Susanna Reid, Stevie Riley. <laughs> Morning. <laughs> uh, and uh, Piers Morgan, Ross McKenzie, two absolute reptiles. <laughs> How you doing? How you doing, Ross? Uh, morning, gents. And who better to talk us through the current climate in Scottish football and inside story on all current topics, Callie Thistle, none other than Callie Thistle CEO, Scott Gardner. Welcome to the pod, Scott. Good afternoon. Uh, First question for you, it's an easy lark to see your business, isn't it? Yes, uh, it's the easiest thing you could ever do. You get no grief, you get no hassle. Uh, no one tries to assassinate you in the newspapers. Um, <laughs> well, what is a pleasure, certainly from our perspective, and I'm sure from yours as well, is being able to go you know, into the stadium uh, is every day as you have been doing. You've been up there a lot. I don't know if you've ever watched uh, the, the popular 90s American sitcom Seinfeld. There's an episode in Seinfeld where George Costanza gets a bed installed under his desk, and you've been that would that would be quite helpful for you, wouldn't it? It, it, it would be if I turned the camera around. Um, <laughs> it would be quite uh, uh, frightening for you all. Um, we have uh, my my office, which is the old media room in here. So I have about twenty years worth of boxes and boxes of array of socks and shorts and t-shirts, and uh, none of which that we could sell. We might. Uh, touch on it later on with yourselves we could find good homes for it yeah well um, I'm, I'm going through a lot of leisure gear at the moment so uh yes. i need i need my leisure gear uh, yeah, but need, yeah but i need you to buy the new leisure gear right so this kind well, of i've done it last night oh we're done we're done we're signed up <laughs> well, we're done, we're done. well we crashed the website you know and only only james keaton's has done that before so <laughs> right so i think you um Ross Morrison was saying you, you've moved up to the town uh, you know, this past season. You know, yeah. what, what have you been up to? Otherwise, how you, if you're getting any downtime, what are, you, what are you up to? What are you doing? There's not much. There's not much uh, um, believe it or not, there's probably even uh, less downtime because I'm, I'm obviously not furloughed. Um, uh, there's only myself and um, one or two other people who are not furloughed. They're not in every day because we don't want them. We don't, we're obviously socially distancing and doing all of that. Um, so if if I wore an, uh, I was going to use it, if I wore a number of hats before, I'm wearing even more 
um, just now. Um, so I'm, I'm home. I'm not home before 6.30, 7.30 every night, even at the moment, because there's so much to do. Mm. Um, uh, so my, my main, the issue I've had, my, my wife uh, works and lives in Edinburgh and uh, has, has been doing that um, since I came up here. I didn't know how things were going to work out, being honest, uh, coming here. Uh, I, I had previously been kind of advising uh, the chairman or Robbo on different things when I wasn't here. So they would call me up because the chairman, the previous chairman, Graham Ray, didn't have a lot of experience in, uh, obviously he's an experienced businessman, but he didn't have a lot of experience in a football club. So he would phone me up occasionally and I would advise them. Um, they only knew me because I was going to, whenever Cali Thistle played in the central belt, I was going to the games um, to, because... Uh, uh, of my relationship with John Robertson, so I would I would go along and see him. It'd be my only chance to see him, and um, I, so when I was coming up, I wasn't sure how it was going to go. My wife, as I say, has a good job in uh, Edinburgh, in, in the centre of Edinburgh, and so she was um, she was not coming up. So we were we've got a wee dog. We don't have any kids. We've got a wee dog, and so really my life kind of revolved. I would just have him. He would be in here every day, and then I would be at Culloden at night, um, down at doors in the forest with him, um, up Ord Hill, sort of that thing. So kind of the dog is, was, my, uh, was my leisure time. Um, he was kind of my best mate. John Robertson lives out in the middle of nowhere, um, so he's hopeless. Uh, I, thought, I thought we'd be going out for a pint every night, uh, but that didn't, that didn't happen. Um, well. So, you know, you're in there every day. What's, how, what, what's, the, what's the general structure of your day? You know, you get in, you go in, you pull into, the, you pull into the, the, the car park, you pull the shutters up, you get all Richie Foran's mail, go into your office. <laughs> that's the general, general template, is it? Um, yeah, the, the Richie Foran mail's all stopped. Uh, I think that stopped maybe about six months ago. Um, we had... Uh, we had something from Marley Watkins the other day, um, so there are, they, you still get flashbacks. Right. Um, so we had something from him. Uh, I haven't opened it, so hopefully it's not an unpaid bill that he left or anything like that. Um, but um, no, you're coming in. There, you, you know, at the moment we're looking at the, you know, well, I've got a season ticket that's high on my agenda at the moment. So, uh, but we couldn't. There's been lots of work to be done on that. We still have suppliers that we're dealing with. Um, we are working on the training ground protocols. It's a huge document that we have to look at for that. Um, and look, so, that, so there's so much of that. It's so complex. Um, to give you an idea, the Cel we got the Celtic document for their training ground protocols, which was a big help um, from Celtic. And um, it was 93 pages. That's just to return to training. It's 93 pages. Now, the big complication we have differently from Celtic uh, or Rangers or Hibs or Aberdeen now, if you have a training ground where your team comes into the stadium and then goes to training, it's massively complicated. And especially if the public are coming to the stadium as well, and one day, obviously, they're, they're going to be again. Um, so even working through the headaches uh, of that and speaking to the army because our training ground is at Port George, um, kind of these are right now are the complications because I have to be ready just in case we get a quick call to go back into training, which is obviously there's still a chance of that. Yeah. 
Right, well, we've got a lot to get through, and we're going to reach through it like a puma. You got no soul, you rubber bumpers! Spit that! Well, well, well. The new season. Uh, we'll, we like to be as positive as possible on this pod, so if you want you want to hear doom and gloom, go and switch on the archers. That's a wee target reference for the young team there. Um, it looks like there might be some light at the end of the tunnel, though, barring a, a second wave. Um, football could be coming back at some point. We'll go straight to the latest news at time of recording. It's been reported in the press this week that championship clubs have agreed to kick off on October the 17th and play 27 games instead of the usual 36, I think. How accurate is that, Scott? And is that something that ICT is behind as a club? We, our position... Um, in relation to that, was our position is that we can play um, when we need to be when we need to play. Um, we we've got a, a core of a squad right now. We don't have a squad, but we have a core of a squad. Um, if we added, you know, the, the the you guys, we would have a you know a bench as well, sort of thing. Um, so we've got a core of a squad. We felt the twenty seventh. We were we were happy to go along with the consensus. It was obvious that the season couldn't start for the championship in, in August um, by finance alone because so many clubs are furloughed, all their squads are furloughed, all their staff are furloughed. So it was clear early on that a number of clubs said we can't play if it starts in August. Therefore, the ball got kicked down the road a wee bit um, and we started to look at when the furlough period would end. So I think it would be fair to say probably the furlough period guided more when championship football might begin rather than someone going, isn't it a wonderful idea? Let's start in the middle of October. And I, I don't expect championship football to start before the 17th of October. If that is the case, there's 25 Saturdays from then to the end of the season that you can play it, taking into consideration World Cup qualifiers and Everything else in Scottish Cup and League, there's 25 Saturdays. So a 27-game season is what you could maybe fit in. And obviously, with relation to Cup games and likes, you're going to get uh, additional um, charges against your team that you're going, to be, you're going to have to deal with if you're successful, as, as we have been you know, uh, in the last two years in the Scottish Cup. So that, that is correct, I would say. I don't expect it to be. But it's not been approved there's not been a formal document, but I, I would expect it around about that time. Right, and that, and that start of the season date, that, um, is that working on the proviso that you will, not, you will not be having any fans in the ground at that date and games will have to be streamed? And if that's the case, do we have the infrastructure to do that? Or is that something that's supplied or helped uh, by the SPFL? It's a bit of both. Um, with the current government guidelines, um, it, no, no supporters are projected to be into the stadium until Christmas, round about then. With regards to infrastructure, um, we um, film all of our games um, on the tower opposite the main stand. And uh, we will also be part of the SPFL scheme this season, which will in, in, be installing a Pixelot camera there. Pixelot is for the gaming um, uh, deal that the SPFL have signed globally. So it's a camera that effectively covers the entire pitch. One fixed camera covers the entire pitch. Um, so we will have um, some work to do, but 100% we will be streaming 
those home games. 100%. How's that, how, that going to work with season tickets? Well, that's the model we have to look at. Because we don't have ICT, uh, ICT TV, um, we don't have a password. Um, but the SPFL have set up uh, something in the centre which allows you to access, um, potentially access, if you want to, something of a substructure that will allow you then to put in a password, uh, which, is, which is exclusive to each season ticket holder. Start talking about getting fans back in grounds. I've heard the Stenius Muir chairman say that they could they could fill ten percent of their ground and and you know comply with certain rules. Um, I've actually seen this week in Denmark they've had some games where I think they've had five hundred fans in a three thousand seater stadium, which is I think sixteen percent of the ground full. If we even worked at if we worked at that proviso, I think that would be one thousand two hundred fans we could get in our ground. Um, with the, obviously capacity being 7,500. Do you think that's something that we're aiming towards? Is that, is that something that you're aiming towards in your head? Um, I don't, I would be not telling you the, tr- the truth if I said I was aiming towards it. We are looking at it, but we are sceptical with the current two metre uh, rule. So the rules would have to change, or the guidelines would have to change with the current two metre guideline. Uh, Roy McGregor, uh, I spoke to him and he said they did the whole exercise. They could get 480 in their stadium um, with the current guidelines. Um, there's, a, there's a high cost of doing that. There's a, you have to remove seats. Effectively, if I took you outside now, I could show you the stand and say, right, if someone was sitting in that seat there, here's all the seats we'd have to remove around it. Because you imagine you're sat in the main stand or the north stand, you want to go to the toilet. You've got to walk along the row. That means everyone in that row even if there's only three people in the length of the row, it, it becomes very, it's not as straightforward as, as people are saying, like everything. It's easy to say, well, we've, we've done the calculations, but it's even harder in all seated stadia. It's much harder. In you know, if you've got terracing like Aloha, or it's much easier for you to wander around and give someone a wide berth. As the guidelines stand, if the guidelines change to say a meetup, which is what they've been talking about this morning, and then it, then, the, then it slightly changes again. But it's, the number, it's a numbers game. How much would it cost us to bring in 500 fans? And you're going to upset. How do you pick the 500? Are you in a ballot? Are you, you know, it's... So I think there's a lot of work still to go into that. And if we're not in till, the, till uh, October, then we have the time to do it. But at the moment, we're going through these exercises and they're not easy, believe me. Yeah. Well, keeping within the sort of the COVID theme um, has obviously been again in the news quite current at the moment is, is James Anderson the, I think he's Bailey Gifford philanthropist he's given 2 million 3 million to the SPFL and I think that equates it's been record, reported to equate something like 50,000 for each um, SPFL club what does that do for Cali Thistle and does, does that just solely cover the COVID testing? On COVID testing we've had we've had conflicting reports we've had anything from 3,000 per, per week to 10,000 per week. Currently to train, it, it's going to cut every player, every member of staff in, in, at the club, is going to be, they have to be tested twice a week, everyone, just to train. Not talking about games, just training. So it's 60 pounds at the moment per test, okay? So someone coming in who's working in the club is going to cost 120 pounds to the club to pay that person to come to work uh, on top of their wages, 120 quid each. That's every player, every coach, physios, everything to do with it. Um, 
so the way James is, uh, I know James quite well. Um, I was at Hearts when we started the relationship with James and uh, I guarded his, his, his identity um, since day one because he didn't want any, uh, he didn't want, he wanted to be anonymous. He's, he's a fantastic guy. He's funny, uh, very unassuming and, and uh, extremely generous. James's money, the, he's donated uh, 3.1, just over 3.1 million. And he's donated it to the SPFL Trust. The SPFL Trust are going to issue, which is the, the charity arm of the, of the league, the SPFL Trust are going to issue us with uh, forums tomorrow, which, would, which would, we would have to fill in to give a notification of our interest in receiving a £50,000 grant. That's not the application form. We will then receive an application form, and in the, in the application form, we will have to justify the clubs will be able to use the grant provided they are able to demonstrate support for the wider community in which they are based. This use will be a condition of the grant. So it's not just a straightforward, well, we'll use, we'll use that for COVID. You must show what, you can, what, what use that is to the community. Um, and I haven't seen the form yet, but that changes the dynamic of it quite a bit. Okay, well, yep, sure is. We're talking about... Um players having disinfectant in the changing rooms but you know us being uh, good supporters enjoy a trip to Dingwall we disinfect ourselves before we go there every single time and when we come back as well so we know all about that I couldn't okay. comment on that that's okay <laughs> that's 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 <laughs> right. let's talk about players players they come and go unless they're Aaron Doran and they prefer to stay in the loving comfort of the Shire um, loves it in Inverness, obviously, we are in. But 14 players have reportedly left the club. I think that includes a lot of young players. So a lot of people might think at first glance that, that the squad's quite light. But as we covered in our last pod, um, we've, we've actually got players for every position bar one. And a lot of them are really well experienced. So things are actually looking pretty good on the player front at the moment, would you say, Scott? Yeah, we're, we're quite relaxed. I mean, we started, John and I started talking about players for, for next season. Um, at the beginning of this season, you know, and, and John and I sit down every day in life uh, outside of COVID. Um, we sit down every day in life and discuss, uh, apart from his day off, and even on then we'll speak about what we're trying to do, who's our targets, who do we want to bring in, who do, where do we need improvement. Um, you're speaking to the academy all the time, um, who's coming through, who's potentially um, one for the future. So, we knew the position we were in in relation to the players that were going out of contract. Our, our squad as is, um, and I'll, I'll quickly take you out here. So we have some gaps, but Richards Mackay, Toshney McHattie, Harper, uh, Daniel Mackay, David Carson, Sean Wealth, James Vincent, Aaron Doran, Roddy McGregor, Miles Story, James Keatons, Nikolai Todorov, Cami Mackay. I'd be quite happy going into the first game of the season with that team. Yeah. Um, however, we uh, clearly uh, need to strengthen. But until we know um, our full kind of financial scenario, uh, situation and when the championship is beginning and who is aware, then we won't make any moves. So we released the players that we released. These were taken on decisions that the manager 
obviously makes. With regards to there is potential in relation to maybe one or two of the young players getting a call back. Um, but that would depend on what happens. And those that are in that situation, we've explained that to them. It really depends it depends what division we're in. It depends what the finances are looking like. We're working on various different things. We lost two concerts that we're going to have here. We're working on new concerts. But finance-wise, I, I don't have a lot of wriggle room. Um, and at the moment, because of COVID, obviously we're trying to we're trying to be as conservative with, with a small C as we possibly can be. Yeah, Scott, you touched on a little bit. I, I spoke to this last week, but for the interest of the pod, um, I know a lot of the fans of the podcast are a bit disappointed with Carlo leaving and uh, obviously being one of our more consistent performers last season. I know a lot of things have to get between the club and the player, but can you expand a little bit on the decision not to give Carlo a contract for the season coming? I, I, I think um, we've, we've been pretty open uh, and honest with Carlo, uh, and it's been a pretty open and honest discussion. Um, Carlo um, was you know, one of the players who was a, probably a legacy contract from uh, being in the Premiership. So um, not one of the middle tier um, wage earners. Um, he's obviously uh, 35, 36. And um, looking at uh, the situation that we had with Cameron Harper, um, everyone had been raving to me about Cameron Harper since two, two, over two years ago, well before I even was even advising the, the, or speaking to John about anything. And they were saying, this guy has a real chance. And, but of course, because Carlo's been so consistent and played so well, um, then he's not had his chance. You know, it's always the manager's decision. Um, and the manager's looking at it and saying, right, well, if I'm going to have a, a, a pot of X amount of money, how can, I, you know, how can I get the best out of it? Was there any scope to use the furlough scheme like some clubs have done to give um, out-of-contract players you know, short-term contracts? Or was that perhaps maybe offering these guys false hope? No, we have we we have we have furloughed everybody. We just haven't publicised it. So all of the guys who were out of contract on the ninth all got new contracts extended to them. Ah, right. Okay. So we have furloughed. We've furloughed everyone. Um, all the young boys, everyone that was in the list that said was released, we furloughed them all. We didn't want to publicise it. We had different legal advice um, from different uh, areas, and uh, we felt it was um, we should do the best. We could buy the boys, so we followed every single player. Um, That's good. good to get that clarity, Scott. Appreciate yeah. that. Um, what, what about Tom Walsh? What, what did we offer him? A personal hairdresser? <laughs> did we offer him his own salon? <laughs> well, looking. As you imagine, a rate scape with all hairdressers open at the moment. Aye. Um, for, for Tom, we offered Tom a deal, a two year deal um, at the beginning of the season. We wanted to, uh, as we did with Sean Rooney, uh, as we did with Jordan White, um, and uh, and we did with others, uh, Aaron uh, obviously being one of them. And so um, the other boys obviously left us uh, to go to the Premier League and that's their prerogative and we you know, we still speak to them. There was no bad blood, there was nothing at all. Um, Tom was wanting to wait to the very end of the season to see what, uh, to see what his options were um, and we obviously set a deadline because you've got to set a deadline, you can't wait forever. Um, and uh, so we set that deadline and the deadline um, passed 
and uh, Tom's decided to, to take his chances and, uh, you know, good luck to him. Uh, and I mean that, good luck to him. He's a good lad. He's a good player. So I would have been delighted if he signed, um, but um, if he didn't, then there's an awful lot of players that are out, come, are out of contract now and coming out of contract. And there's 1,200 players in England, Division One and Division Two, that are out, coming out of contract and mm-hmm. uh, a, lot, a lot more. Where David Carson, for instance, came from. So we've got we've built up a really good network, and we're looking at that. So, uh, Scott, you mentioned uh, obviously the three players leaving out of contract last season, and we had uh, Charlie Christie on the pod recently who mentioned uh, Liam Polworth, which was particularly frustrating given we developed them leaving for nothing, and maybe a kind of longer history of the club not managing to tie players down. Is there something that can be done going forward to prevent that from happening? Effectively, yes, there is. There is, right? And we now have a strategy in relation to tying players to the club so that the club gets the benefit that they should get. Um, with regards to Polworth, um, when I joined the club, I joined the club, the Hearts match, the semi final at Hamden was my first game, and the, I, I, I said, Have we, has he been offered anything? Um, and the answer was yes, but then he announced on the Friday night, the night before the game, that he was signing for Motherwell on a pre-contract, and I could not believe we had let him go out the door for, for nothing. I could not believe it. That was not down to the manager, believe me. Um, he was desperately, but, that, but once you get into that last year, if you really do want somebody, you, you your back's against the wall at that stage if they have a value because they know that and other clubs are, are sniffing around them just like we are with, with players as well um, who are in the same situation at other clubs. So uh, our, our strategy is that that does not happen again. Um, the guys that we offered uh, deals, we offered really good deals to. You know, Ultimately, if a player, and those guys, I think it was more... Uh, geography than anything they wanted to go back down the road you know they were young Jordan Jordan's wife was pregnant their first baby all her family was in Wishaw and around that area and so he was wanting to go back down the road Sean Rooney had a really tough year lost his mum who was very close to it, tragically and uh, and lost his grandfather and and I think Sean loved it here but wanted to just to get get closer to home so he could live there you know you can live St Johnson you can live in Glasgow and Play for yeah. St. Johnston. Can't do that here. So I think we were a wee bit unfortunate there. We would have happily had them. With everyone else, we're trying our best to tie everybody up, pay them good money. We don't sell them that this is your forever club. We sell them, come here and do well, and you are going to go to a bigger club for a lot more money. So it's part of our selling point when we're speaking to players is that, you know, we're, we're not selling them forever in Inverness. Uh, and that has to be, it's, it's maybe not good to hear, but we're saying, you know, you will only go to a better club if you do well here. But here is a list, and it's as long as your arm, of all the really cracking players that are playing right now that have been at Inverness. So we use it as our USB that, that, uh, to say, you, if you do well here, you're going to go do well in the game. So just quickly, who, tell us who you're targeting right back. Centre midfield striker is is that roughly right? Uh, well, we we're, we're certainly looking we're certainly looking in in defence right back for sure. Yeah, of course. So right back for sure, midfield for sure, and obviously a goal scorer. Um, you're 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 looking at as well. Uh, we have our plans were kind of well advanced, 
and the whole thing's gone up in the air. Mm. Um, as I say, we've developed, uh, John in particular has developed an excellent network um, uh, down south. Um, where, the, you know, as I say, where you're, where you're looking to, um, you know, unearth some uh, gems, some guys that have slipped, you know, through the cracks of the game, um, but are hungry, got something to prove. Um, and that's what we're looking, that's what we're, we're going to be looking for. Um, so the areas you've, you've, you've outlined there, yeah, absolutely. Um, Scott, in terms, of, uh, in terms of what we get for that playing budget, do you feel that we, do we have to do more or pay more because of the location? The situation that we have with players, particularly trying to get that sort of senior player, right? So trying to get that 28, 29-year-old guy who's just moving into his prime. Uh, as a player, knowledge of the game, strength, conditioning, uh, attitude. That's very difficult for, for us on the budget that we have because that guy's probably married, he's probably got kids, they're at school, his wife's got a job and they have to decant en masse up to here and uh, either rent a place here or buy a place and his wife has to try and find a new job and the kids have to go to a new school. It's very, very, very difficult on the budget that we uh, can play with. Hence, you get more players, Rooney's age and the likes, who come up. Tommy Walsh, who, as I say, fallen through the cracks at other bigger clubs, come up here, really enjoy it, do really well, but they're kind of easily picked off uh, if they're not tied up because clubs down the road can offer them more. And they're also at that age where they've got a girlfriend, but they've not necessarily got a wife. So getting the James Vincents and the the Sean Welsh's uh, is is much harder. William Polworth was in the pod recently, and he um, he touched on sort of differences between ICT and Mugrill off the pitch. And I think for some of us, Mugrill's a sort of I think that's a sort of level we should be aspiring to in the short term. Um, what what do you think we can learn from Mugrill off the pitch as a community club, and maybe sort of take into Everness and try and get some more fan engagement? Well, I think I think uh, Motherwell and uh, St Johnston as well. Um, Motherwell have been able to benefit from being in the Premier League, and there's a lot more you can do in the community if you're in the prep. If you have the revenues coming through the Premier League, uh, we absolutely. Well, I'm not here to be chief executive of a Championship Football Club. John Robertson's not here to be manager of a Championship, and the chairman doesn't want us to be in a Championship. We we see Inverness as a Premiership club, and so our living, breathing, seven days a week is to how can we get. Inverness back in the Premier League and we'll do everything we possibly can uh, to do that. First, my first job was to create stability in the club because we were not stable, believe me. Uh, the, the, the club was not, you can't lose 900,000 a year in the championship and then, so we had to stabilise first but it's a one team town and I know there's so much apathy in the town uh, and there'll be good reason for it but it's a one team town. Prior to Covid, one of the fastest growing cities in Europe and a young city, because a lot of young people moving here, a lot of jobs, um, a lot of schools being built. So we've got a fantastic opportunity. The community department is tiny in comparison to other clubs. But again, it's chicken and an egg. We've built up a fantastic board. The board of the ICT Community Trust has changed so much in the last four or five months, you wouldn't believe it. But we must engage with the community. We can only be a community club. You know, if we're not the centre of the town geographically, 
We're the professional club of this city. You know, we must be in all the schools more. You know, we've got to do more. So that, that's there. But, but it was, first of all, was the battle to make us stable and then come up with a plan that would make us self-sufficient so that we wouldn't have the pressure on every year um, how much we're going to lose. Um, and that's what that, so, so it's chicken and an egg. Steve, yeah. you For McDonald, I'm the castle, Liverness men, Weechies, Hustle, Jenny Heavers, CCTV, PC's Pizzas, Judith, Steady, Parlin Park, the Library, Spectrum Center, Mulgy Story, Cali Thistle, the Golden Mile, Music Center, Matalan. You talked a little bit earlier there about um, getting players to come up the road to Inverness, you know how difficult it is, but you know. You've come up to Inverness yourself, like you say, you're living in Inverness, you've packed your bags, you've hitched the ride up the, up the A9 like Bruce Banner, um, you arrived in Inverness, you've taken a stroll down the islands, you've had a dream ring, you've immediately needed an insulin injection, so you know Inverness, but, so, but, but why come here, why take the job, was it, was it a combination of those relationships, those existing relationships that you already had with Ross and with John? Yeah, it was a, it was a combination, I, I uh, first of all, the, a dream ring to me when I lived in Edinburgh meant something completely different. <laughs> I, thought the guys were, I thought the guys were winding me up when they said to me. <laughs> so the, for, for us, I, I knew the club was in a state of meltdown. And, and I, honestly, that's what it was in the state of. I think there was a period of, there were six or seven or eight senior people were leaving, were resigning. Uh, director, academy director, the CEO, the club secretary was leaving, was retiring, but he was leaving. The finance, the head of finance had, had resigned um, and uh, multiple others. And I uh, had been building up a new business. It was no, uh, it was no secret at the time I had, a, I had a serious illness. I had gone back to build, uh, building up a business which was coming along brilliantly, uh, an event production business. And but John had phoned me and said, This is in the meltdown. Um, I had only met Ross in boardrooms and I'd only ever said hello to him. I didn't, I didn't, literally, I'd said hello. And then we met at, uh, he asked me to come and meet him and we chatted away. And I said, Well, it looks like it's, uh, it looks like it's a basket case. And I, I said, So I need you to tell me if it is. And he said, No, it's not, you know. And uh, I heard them, I pulled them up after his podcast because he said he lied through his teeth. Um, <laughs> uh, I said to Ross, I'll do it if you're doing it because I liked Ross and I liked, I'd done my homework on him about what he did, what he was involved in. And I said, if you're going in as chairman uh, eventually, or if you're in this for the long haul, I'll come and do it. Um, but I was only going to do it for three months. Once you came in and you realized how good the people were, and speaking to fans and everything, uh, I said, look, I can't, if I walk away, I felt it was going to go under. Uh, so I, I'd been in the situation before, after a club had been in administration, and that's what it felt like. And I said, I think I can fix this, but only with your support and only if we get a new board, uh, we put together a, some heft in the board. We went and spoke to people who had been previous owners. Um, we spoke to a number of people. Um, you know, there wasn't a stone was left unturned. What do you bring to the club um, that was probably missing in the previous regime? I think experience. I really think experience. And, and, and I don't have a small club attitude. I think if you have a small club attitude, then you're a small club. And while we are obviously a small football club, we, are a, we have so much scope to be so much more because we are a, 
you know, have a fantastic uh, opportunity in relation to the city and a one-team club. And 25 years, the club has been, it's, it's overperformed by any measure. And we give, we've got the opportunity here to do something quite exciting. Talk a little bit about Votegate. Um, when, when you went on Sports Sound the day after Votegate, how did that come about? Because I think most of us were all listening to the radio that day, and if we weren't, then we certainly did. Um, were you just listening to the radio and thought, I'm not having this? Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. It was a, I mean, it was a fairly traumatic week uh, for, for, lo- for lots of reasons. We couldn't understand what was going on. We couldn't understand the rush. We couldn't understand the, to, to do this. We couldn't understand the conflation. Of the of the relegation and the money, um, and we believed uh, and knew that there was different ways that it could be done. So the, the Friday was probably a shock, and uh, about how that all came about. And I was in here, um, and I probably was in here for about an hour after it all died down, and was I was genuinely shocked and in a state of shock on the Friday night. Something strange was happening. Someone was. You know, we didn't couldn't understand it. On Saturday, listening, um, I had spoken to various chairmen of other clubs, um, and like everything in Scottish football, there was rumours flying everywhere about what had happened. You know, was going to happen, and um, it was alluded uh, to me that uh, well, I, I read I read the newspapers, and it said Dundee hadn't voted. And it said clearly in the, in the Glasgow press on the Saturday, Dundee had not voted. They, had, uh, they could confirm to the papers that they had not voted. And I had it in front of me. So I was like, that's, that's just not true. And uh, when the programme started, and it started with that premise, although they were talking about it, they were saying, well, you know, we now know that Dundee didn't vote. I sent a text to Richard Gordon and said, do you want me to come on the show? Because I... I I might be able to add something here. And I think my phone rang about six seconds later. Uh, and all, my only point was that's not true. They voted. They did vote. Uh, you know, we knew they voted. They were consistent all week. They had voted. So I, I, uh, I didn't say anything against any club. I didn't have a go at any club. We didn't have a pop at any club. We didn't have a pop at Dundee. We just said they voted. And we have proof, and we know they voted, and we can't understand why it's being said that they didn't. And we know they voted prior to the deadline. And that was all I said. If anyone wants to listen back to that, that's all I was saying. You know, and it was made out that we were having a go. We, we didn't. We said they voted. And then the, the panel was going to go on and debate it. And uh, I didn't want to be part of the debate about who, why, and what. All I wanted to do was so everyone should know the facts. This is what happened. And that was the point of it. And uh, the vitriol that then came towards us after that was yeah. disgraceful. Well, I think uh, as fans, we obviously we all appreciate um, the honesty yourself and yourself and Ross have, have come out with during this period. But if that was round one, then round two was, you know, how frustrating was it that essentially a smear then has come out about yourself probably saying that you were backing null and void and this is essentially all done in the back room of a lodge. Yeah, I mean, it's just nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. It just, it wasn't true. There was no, we never, we never, we were never asked 
we never we were not given a right to reply. It was a hatchet piece, and uh, you know we know why it was. We know why it was done. We our position. There's no stage. Never, ever, ever did we discuss null and void with anyone. Ever. Why would we? Um, we had no problem with titles being awarded, and we were clear on that from from the beginning. We had only a problem with relegation, and nothing else. That was that was that was it. If we were going to stay, we were losing our ability to get promoted. We weren't even shouting about that. And I know a couple of Califans said, well, you should be shouting more about that. We said, look, this is, if the season's not going to start, we cannot get the chance to go up. And it was clear at that stage that the season was going to be terminated at some period in the future. Our argument was, you know, the season was the, the SFA suspended the season on Friday the 13th of March. We had a board meeting in Aviemore on, on Saturday the 14th. And at that board meeting, we said, the only way to fix this without damaging anyone, John Roberts and I went down together, the only way to fix this is to have 14, 10, 10 and 10. Two clubs up, Kelty and Barora up, Cove and Edinburgh up, Falkirk and uh, Rafe up. Obviously, ourselves and United up, but no one would get relegated. That would be a very quick, practical solution. Of course, teams that were in playoff positions would lose out, but it was clear there was not going to be a, start, a new start of the season. So we took that position from day one, and uh, we've been open to other positions. If someone said, well, 14, 14, 14 might work. Again, if it doesn't involve relegation, then we're for it. Uh, 14, 14, 18 might work. If it doesn't involve relegation, we're for it. We didn't have a, we didn't have a, a time scale of two years or five years or four years. We said you cannot impact someone unfairly financially. That was just our position. And we've been consistent. And, and yeah. you can't do anything else about other people's agendas because they're their agendas. And you can't impact on them. If they decide to try and make you out to be something, there's not a lot you can do if that's what they decide to do, particularly if it's a national newspaper. Yeah. We, presumably you're still in contact with these clubs on a weekly basis with championship Zoom calls and whatnot. Um, you know, everyone's got to be professional. Uh, they've got to look after their clubs, but they've got to deal with each other on a day-to-day -day or weekly basis. Is that acrimony done with now? I think it's done with in the main. Um, the, again, I think that was... That was overinflated. We didn't have crosswords with uh, multiple of the clubs that were mentioned that we did. We just didn't, and we don't, and, we've, and we can pick up the phone to them and do pretty regularly. Um, there's one or two, obviously, uh, situations there which uh, we're not happy about. But for the purposes of the club and for the league moving forward, we've got to be uh, professional. You know, it's not like we were going out for pints with people um, and they were long lost friends and, and now they're not anymore. We, got, we have good relationships with the majority um, of clubs in Scotland. And as I say, we never had a go at a single club. We were honest about what we thought had happened and, uh, and for, we were attacked. Some of the language used against us, you know, Highland Minnows, just, um, just appalling. Yeah. You know, look, look at the Scottish Cup record, is incredible here. Okay, well, we'll move on from there just now. Um, coming up next, we're going to talk about finances, the brand new kits, and uh, what's going to happen with the stadium.
where you want to drink? Well, 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 the Glen Alvin, the Thistleton, the Jolly Trooper, the Castle Talker, and Cupcus Jocker, Dimes at Gallons, the City Bar, number 27. Right, finances, right, let's talk money, cash, dosh, dough, moolah, bread, reddies, or as Roy McGregor likes to call it, soap. Ross? Obviously, you guys have done a lot of work to try and plug that the losses we're making. Uh, the Avi Moore boys have come on the board and things seem to have, as you have said, stabilised. I wanted to ask, pre-COVID, how close were we looking in terms of self-sufficiency, um, which I assume is your drive? Um, and if it isn't your drive, do we just have to accept that we have to rely on the generosity of local businessmen? Um, and going forward, who are those local businessmen? Char- Char- Charlie Christie, when he was on with us, he said his dream was to get four or five big hitters from the town together around the table for some serious investment. And what is it that stops those guys from getting involved? Um, and yeah, basically, what's the model going forward? I think the what stops, just I'm doing reverse, what stops those guys getting involved? I do not know. It's you, have, you would have to ask, uh, you'd have to ask them. I think there's a lot of politics in Inverness. Uh, when I came in, uh, I was told, you know, he'll never come in unless, unless he's gone and he'll never come in if he's there. And we have good relations with all the people. Now, I'm not in the, the X camp or the Y camp, or the, I'm in Inverness's camp. So I think it was helpful probably for the club that somebody was coming from outside yeah. that had no history with, with, uh, with different people. And then no one could say, well, he's only doing that because of them. It was going to be difficult to. Uh, go from 900,000 losses to break even in one year uh, unless you were uh, selling a player um, for, for a huge amount of money. So we had made tremendous inroads into it. So we, got, we set out the EGM to raise about half a million and we'd raised about 700,000. So the concerts were obviously going to add uh, six figures uh, as well. And our plan, uh, part of our strategy, is have the club back on the concert uh, market which even though we lost the two concerts, we now are. We're now in discussion with different people about new concerts here. So that's, that has to become a part of it where we generate six figures every year via concerts. That is, uh, is the, the area that we are in. I'm talking about the 10 acres. That, the stadium's about four, just over four acres. And we own the stadium and we own about two, mit- two metres out, out of, uh, from the walls. Um, our plan is to obviously buy uh, the land back that's all around us um, and uh, go, from, go from there and make that uh, generate revenue towards the football club uh, annually so that um, it takes the pressure off us. Our, our target is to do that so that we're raising around between five and 700,000 a year. We want to be self-sufficient. Well, so ICT25, so... That's obviously launched what last year now, so it looks like a good opportunity for, for businesses to get involved. Um, could you give us an update on how that's going? And also, would you like to roll out a sort of watered down version for fans? So have it similar structure, platinum, gold, blah, 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 but aimed at individual fans. Keith Haggart has been brought on board as commercial director to, to target. You know, we're, we're next to one of the biggest industrial estates, you know, for 200 miles. Uh, and uh, there's hardly any of those businesses come here. So we have, we have not been good uh, at uh, generating revenue from the businesses of the city. And because we were looking at, Stevie, because we were looking at 
shortfalls of hundreds of thousands. And knowing what our fan base currently is, the target in the first instance, and everything has to be in stages, was to go to businesses first. Hence, this was designed for businesses more than fans. In relation to the fans uh, sort of potential fan scheme, uh, we'd probably like to have some uh, groups meet together, which we all can, and say, here are some options that we've come up with. What do we think is the best for this area? And for, for this support base. For I think a couple of fans have asked us recently about some of the things that were first broadcast in 1925 about um, a showpiece friendly. I think that was muted. Um, the Hall of Fame, I know we did dinner, but maybe have a Hall of Fame at the stadium, have a, a standalone piece that fans could visit. And I think the book in the works as well. Um, any update on those? Yeah, I think we're discussing the book at the board meeting this afternoon. We're looking at um, friendlies we are looking at. Obviously, we could, well, we have spoken to um, more than one club in, in relation to that. I was going to say we've spoken to one of the big hitters, but that kind of goes back to the whole uh, Dundee <laughs> boat thing again. Um, we've, we're speaking to clubs, uh, you know, north and south about potentially having, having that. And... Um, and the Hall of Fame, uh, having something here, again, would be quite helpful to sit down with everybody and say, here's some of the ideas we have. They don't all have to happen at once, but what, what do you think would prioritise? What would help us most? What would the fans appreciate most? So, Scott, we've heard, I mean, we've heard some fantastic ideas for raising money. Um, the outgoings are clearly still an issue. Um, and Project Brave came up during the time of the EGM. Figure a half a million was chucked around that we were spending on that annually. We've seen Livingston and Falkirk pull it. What's the kind of status between us and Project Brave at the moment? Um, we uh, have had full and frank discussions and we want academy football to continue here, but it will really depend on how our finances go and our ability to get financial support for it. It costs, it costs more for a Highland boy to play elite football, as it would be known, than a little boy in... Port Glasgow or Dalkeith uh, or Dundee or anywhere else you want to say in Scotland, it costs us more. That's not the SFA's fault. That's not the SPFL's fault. It's just a fact of life. Um, what we're 10,000 square kilometres is our catchment area. It's the size of Belgium. We've got boys coming from Wick uh, and, uh, you know, Fort William and Dornoch and everywhere in between. And it's very, very, it's very, very expensive for us. And we have made certain pleas uh, to the SFA to, to try and help us um, and or take cognizance of that fact. In her ass, what the hell? How you doing? No water cell for shitty weather, drugs and pissness. Inverness is a fucking business. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the kits. Um, that's something that's going to bring in a lot of money, hopefully, is the kits. Um, from Judging by some of the comments that I've seen online, I'll just read you some of them. Um, probably the nicest home strip we've had in a long time. There's one, a fabulous kit, not ruined by an ugly sponsor. There's another in reference to some previous sponsors. Um, after years of suffering with Area, this is fucking glorious, someone has said. I don't know if Area had stitched like razor blades on the inside of that person's top. If I've ever suffered with a football strip. Uh, another one as a neutral, that's a cracking kit. And then a St Johnston fan said, why do we end up with crap suppliers and ICT end up with Puma? That's a good one. Uh, and then my favourite one was a Celtic one, well, my second favourite one, or even my favourite one at the end. A Celtic fan with two followers on Twitter said, that's no two metres apart. 
I think you can, <laughs> you, can, you can let us into the story behind that, Scott, and also tell us, you know, ultimately why Puma. Yeah, obviously some people don't realise you can do uh, photo uh, <laughs> altering. Um, we, uh, we had uh, the photo shoot was done at Trevor Martin's uh, uh, studio and it was done with like about an hour and a half uh, in between each uh, session. That was with the uh, four boys that you see uh, in the pic in the first uh, picture. And uh, so Vinnie Keats, Miles and Roddy. And um, then, uh, and I was desperate to get the photo shoot done because I wanted to get the launch done. Uh, but a couple of days later, then the actual, the real socks arrived, which was, so I had to do another player wearing the full kit because we didn't have the custom uh, socks. Um, and uh, that, the, they didn't arrive until uh, two days later. So I phoned Louis Toshney, um, who's in, who was in Inverness, and said, look, I need you to come down and do the shoot with, uh, with the socks. Um, so no, they were never taken together. But uh, obviously that, that, uh, that guy's not aware of modern technology. Um, why Puma? Because it was one, I mean, it was good enough for Manchester City and Borussia Dortmund. And, you know, it was kind of good enough for me. Um, I had worked with the guys at Puma, I brought them into Dundee and uh, I thought they were fantastic, the, qu the quality was very good and it was, a, it was a brand, most kit, one of the funny things of comments on kit is that uh, guys of your age and my age have the most to say about it, are least likely to buy it, uh, present company accepted, but normally the people that are, normally the people that are commenting on kit or going, that's humshus, or that's horrific. You, 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 the, the thing with kit is that you're looking for, um, for here we were looking for an upgrade, uh, an aesthetic upgrade, and, and an actual, so that it would feel like, a, going back to this thing, don't think like a small club. There's nothing against other manufacturers at all, uh, and, and bigger clubs than us go with smaller manufacturers. In relation to us, we wanted to... to be a noticeable um, and apparent uh, upgrade of the club by, by tying in with a huge uh, brand. And once I spoke to the main guys at Puma, they were happy. And I had done the others as well. And the other ones were, were open. So it wasn't just they were the only ones. The other ones, other big brands were saying, yeah, we'll come. Um, I explained what we want to do in the future, in the next three years, what our plans were. So they were all part. They were all in for that. So uh, I was delighted to get to Puma. We then wanted to go. I spoke to a number of people, not yourselves. Um, I apologise for, but I spoke to a number of people about. Didn't say who it was, but just about. I felt there was no. I always, I always associated Cali Thistle with, with stripes, and that was the thing that was coming through from everyone. They saying, "Look, our identity was was stripes." And uh, so that's why we went with, uh, we want to have a very, very strong um, strip. We want it to be a bespoke uh, jersey. Uh, certainly for the, for the first, it was important for me that the first strip was very impactful and that it was strong and bold and had uh, visible ties to history of, of the club. Some clubs will get a template strip and they'll say, how can we tie that to the 50s? Mm. And you say, yeah, that's it. That's tied to the, because of that, the 50s. We want, and you're trying to fit that in to your narrative. 
we wanted to, was, was to, to say the narrative is let's go the club was straight let's go back to that strong identity no one else has it in the, um, the certainly the top two and uh, tiers and uh, let's go back to that so it, it was very pleasing even though I don't read the social media um, deliberately because as I say you, you've got enough on your plate without having something that a, a, a worm in your brain about something somebody said. So, um, but it was very pleasing that the initial feedback was was positive. We we took a big decision to make it the same price as an Area uh, jersey. And right up to the last minute, I had people saying to me, "You get more for that. The fans will expect to pay more because yeah. it's Puma." Yeah. I took the decision. No, we'll keep it the same. Last night, I crashed the website, and I say I couldn't have been happier that the website crashed. Um, no, I wasn't happy about it crashing, but it showed what was going on, and the, and the sales overnight were tremendous. So, please. So you, you've crashed the website with a home shirt. You're going yeah. to crash it with the away shirt. Have you got some exclusive details for us? I'm not going to go into details because it's no fair, right? Because it's, this is the big. Don't you think the best thing is getting the kit reveal? If I tell you ah. what the kit is, then the best thing about the kit reveal, and I, the people on the inside who have got an idea, I hope they don't come out and say. Because the best thing of a kit reveal is go, there it is. But we wanted to have stability in relation to uh, a kit manufacturer. So it's a four-year deal with Puma um, and, uh, and a sponsor. And, and we wanted to have that consistency. So it wasn't changing, it wasn't going out of date. So the plan is we'll bring out a home and away every year, but we'll also keep always keep the away, because you need three strips in the, in the league now in any case. It's going to be a, a lot of training gear coming out as well, presumably, because Puma does a really good uh, range of training gear. My question, my final question about uh, apparel is, Robbo finally going to give up the golf jumper? <laughs> going to make him? Uh, he doesn't have, contrary to rumour, he doesn't have a deal with Castle Stewart. <laughs> uh, he just likes their gear. And I've said to him, well, the new Puma gear that's coming in, all the players were over the moon with it. They were delighted with the, the, the stuff and they were saying, I would wear this out and about. Because the stuff that we were had everybody trying on here was not branded Cali Thistle. So it was just, and it was stuff similar to the Ricky Fowler and wears and it, it was fantastic stuff that the players were saying, I would wear this out and about. Um, so we are, we will bring in at different phases the new Puma range uh, and we will have a, a much more of a, uh, our technical partners range than we would with previous. So there's going to be a, a pretty full range of training wear that will okay. be available to buy. Okay, mm. well, well, we'll finish this section with uh, my favourite comment from Twitter about the kit. Uh, I'm going to mention this guy. I don't know who he is. No idea who he is. Just saw his name and he just said this comment. He said, a fan called Mark Wheeler said, that is disco baby, sexy baby, hot, hot, hot. I think he was on the wrong side. Hey, uh, we just got one more section for you, Scott. If that's okay, this is about this is a fan experience. There's there's a lot of views about the Longman. Um, I myself, I love it. Um, it's what I think is one of the most picturesque grounds in Scotland. I remember when we first moved there from Telford Street, and we all raved about the stand. I remember playing, I think it was Albion Rovers, and I was walking past the stand, and uh, when I was a, a, a boy, and um, their their chairman was like, "This is some place," and you know, everyone thought it was fantastic. But I think over the years, it hasn't had a lot of love. Um, there hasn't been a lot of work put into it. We had the we had that container outside the stadium for a long time selling, you know, as a, as the shop. So just wanted to ask, what plans are in place for, or certainly pre-COVID, 
for improving the ground and the area around the stadium, if any? Well, first of all, we need to own the land. So um, there's not a lot we can do unless we own it, right? Um, so that's our first priority. Um, and that's, you know, I can't go into detail on that, but we're working on that very, very hard because it is number one priority because everything else comes from that. Once we do that, that allows us to do things uh, uh, in and around uh, the stadium. Um, I uh, think it's a stunning uh, location, um, but on days like the Tunnock's Caramel Wafer semi-final, um, I thought we were going to lose one of our directors that day because uh, of the conditions. Um, uh, literally, physically thought we were going to lose him. I think uh, we've, had, we've been doing some, we, we employed a new stadium manager, a guy called Derry McRae, who's honestly fantastic. Uh, I think he's one of my best signings for sure. Um, absolutely fantastic guy, uh, in, Indonesian, uh, loves the club and is, is a, a Rolls Royce of a, of a fixer. Um, and the, the stadium is, you know, you, you heard the built-in obsolescence. The stadium is probably at that stage where there's holes appearing everywhere. So at the moment, we're working on a budget um, for the stadium, uh, but we were getting things priced up like painting, you know, painting of all the orange uh, uh, stanchions uh, for the main stand, for instance, and it's a huge amount of money. I'm just talking about the stadium infrastructure here. In relation to, the, in, in relation to that, again, that relates to owning the land because there's no point in spending a huge amount of money when something can happen around you that would uh, affect it. We have some amazing plans, but as I say, it's a, ch it's a chicken and an egg. Um, with regards to experience, again, this is something I would like to discuss uh, with the supporters, because I think the experience, uh, as it goes, uh, in, is pretty grim in relation to coming here and what you, know, what you experience here. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's pretty grim. And I think we must uh, do better or else we've got no chance of getting youngsters wanting to come back uh, and who then grow up to be men like yourselves and love the club. So I think we've got to look at experience and um, we've got a number of things we'd like to try. Uh, but again, I'd quite like to have a, a group, um, put a group together um, once we can all meet in, in, a, in a room, hopefully not too... Uh, not too soon from, uh, not too far from now, um, and say let's let's go through everything. There's no daft ideas. Would this work? Could this work? It will be negligent if we don't do something. It'll be my fault if we don't do something. We we have to look at the experience. So I've got ideas on it, but again, I don't want to try things and then people say, why didn't you speak to us? But we must do better for sure. I've I've got a couple of points. Maybe more points than questions, Scott, but. Um you touched it there. I mean, I, I don't spend a lot of time before the game around the stadium. I'll turn up at 10 2, and then at the quarter to five, you're, you're back in the bus or you're back in the town. Don't blame you. Now, you're a big NFL fan, and, and, I, and I like the idea, and I don't know if this is something you could even comment on is maximizing time people have before the game, tailgate parties in the States, not such like that, but having a big car park there, why not have some sort of mini Christmas market type thing you get in, in all big cities, having craft beer tents, musicians playing food? Selling merchandise, selling Puma merchandise. Could you could you do that? Is, is it possible? Is there to do that? To try and get people together before the game and create a better atmosphere. Well, there is, there is, um, there is, and there's not in relation to the tailgate party. And I, and I 
but I agree with you, and I'm, as you know, I'm a massive NFL fan amongst and baseball fan, and there's a, there is a massive opportunity to do that. The current Scottish laws don't allow us to do certain things, mm-hmm. uh, but I'd like to see us, because of our location, try and be uh, pilot schemes for certain things. You've touched on a lot of things that we've already worked, or we, we are already working on, uh, believe it or not, and I'll show you, we can show you videos even mm-hmm. uh, of them that we've been we, we've had done. Um, so we've we've we'd like to present something uh, to the council, but there's also the the game. Um, believe it or not, it's probably easier to do it in the championship than it is in the premiership. So, uh, but then there's you get less fans coming in the championship, but it's it's actually creating more just of an experience. Why do you go X hours early? We're not expecting because we don't have it in our culture that people are going to come so so early. But we can certainly do something. You'd be here an hour, an hour and a half before because there was good things to do. Um, you see it in Germany, that's amazing. I've been to the MLS, I've been to uh, Houston Dynamo, FC Dallas, uh, and I know they have the weather, but there are things you can take from it. Yeah. You know, uh, there are things you take from it. I, you, I go to the ice hockey, and I, I'm a New York uh, fan in, in ice hockey. You go to Madison Square Garden, it's freezing. Everyone's wrapped up. It's in the winter. Everyone's wrapped up. Throw your coats on because you're going to be going into ice, uh, sitting around an ice rink. There are still things that they do that we could do here because you don't need to have the weather. So it's okay saying, well, okay, use FC Dallas and Houston. It's 100 degrees. But it's not at the ice hockey. And they still pull stuff off. It creates that community. I think that's what we're looking for as fans is to try and get as many fans together, have that common bond and benefits the club as well. The Germans... Germans run it throughout the winter you know there's no colder place than Munich and uh, in a winter game at the old Olympic Stadium there they still did amazing things at the Olympic Stadium before the Allianz and uh, there are things that you can do um, and make it uh, a good place to come obviously crowds are still dwindling and obviously that's in the back of John Roberts doing a great job at the club and we all appreciate what he's doing what can the clubs do to bring the fans back? So, I mean, are we, we canvassing former maybe season ticket holders? Are we reaching out to fans that maybe buy a ticket on the day and saying, why, why do you not buy a season ticket? Is there any sort of engagement from the club? That we're, we're, about to do, we're about to do a campaign of canvassing uh, for season tickets. Uh, we haven't done that on the day about why have you not done this or why have you not done that. Um, to be honest, I didn't have the, st- the numbers of staff to do it. Yeah. Um, there's only so much you were, you were able to do. We were we were focusing on the stability of the club for the first my first sort of season here, um, and uh, all these things are on the list. Um, we uh, but we will be canvassing in relation to that. That's why we've been out delivering ice cream and doing all sorts of things and saying to people, "You're coming back, and you're going to buy a shirt, and you're going to buy a." Um, so we are we are working on things, but uh, it's been the, the championship is a black hole for fans. Honestly, every club that goes in the championship, fans fall away. Yep. You know, and it's actually a good league. It's actually a competitive league. It's probably better, more competitive than than any of the others. Um, but it's a black hole, and I know that from Hearts are the only club that ever bucked that trend. But they were coming back off a event that happened, and the fans were then owning the club and all of this sort of stuff. So. Yeah. I'm not recommending fan ownership because I'm not. Uh, I think it's very rare that it works. And having worked at Dundee when it was fan owned, uh, I wouldn't go through that again. 
Well, I think it's, fans get a bit despondent when they get relegated from the big league and you drop down there, so then you've got to deal with that despondency. But what we won't do is we won't finish on a despondent note. We'll finish on a high note. If you've listened to this before, Scott, you'll know we finish with like a quick fire five. So you're a quick fire five, just very quick, quick one word answer, one sentence answer about five things about, you know, being involved with Cali Thistle. So what is the best thing about being a CEO? I'll edit out your pause. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing is when it all goes right. Right. Uh, what's the worst thing? Is <laughs> <laughs> when it all goes wrong. <laughs> uh, what's your best moment with Cali Thistle so far? Um, my best moment was uh, before I joined. Uh, just before I joined, the winning the winner at Tanadice was oh, unbelievable. Yeah. And I was, uh, and I hadn't even joined the club, and I had no idea I was even because Yvonne Crook was sitting two seats along from me. Never was never crossed my mind. But the best moment I've had with Cali Thistle was the, the winner at Tanadice. I was jumping around like a twelve-year-old, and uh, it was amazing. It was an amazing football moment. What's the best thing about living in Inverness? So laid back. That's maybe that's maybe one of the bad things for the club. <laughs> bad things for the fans. <laughs> Double edge. Uh, last one. Uh, be honest. You know, just get your phone out. What is the last thing that Robbo texts you? Uh, he texts me if you're not this morning. He texts me if you're not here in five minutes. I'm just going to pick up my dogs at the hairdresser. <laughs> All you're trying to do is do the right thing. I came here for a three-month uh, period, and uh, and I'm here, um, you know, a year later. But I think. Uh, uh, just over a year, because you see, you see the good, the good people here. You see the city. You see the possibility. You see Ross's passion, and you know, and him and I are. We must speak at least six times a day. You know, it's not even though he's down in uh, Maniki. Uh, we must speak that many times a day, and and, it, and it's important that we that we do. But um, it's, it's there's an amazing opportunity here. We might not pull it off. But if we do, it'll be incredible. It'll be a legacy because there's an amazing opportunity to do something here that I don't think there are in any other club in Scotland because of the location. Right. Well, we appreciate you coming on. We know you're exceptionally busy, you know, with the new strips and everything else. So um, just really appreciate your time and hopefully everyone's, everyone will appreciate hearing from you. No, let's keep, keep in touch, gents. Keep in touch. Thanks, appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Well, hopefully, Cheers. hopefully a few pints once this... The sun comes up over the hill. Aye, certainly. Uh, so that's goodbye from uh, goodbye from the boys. Goodbye. Goodbye, right. cheerio. Goodbye from Scott. Cheerio. And goodbye from me. We're off to measure our waistlines, then visit the online club shop. Take care of yourselves and bye for now. Yep, yep. 